to start with, I'd like to ask you just what was the key question, I suppose, you're trying to answer with this study you presented? Well, the study that I presented was to look and see whether or not there was a differential impact on different drugs within the macrolide class on the likelihood that they would select for a macrolide-resistant organism in the presence of macrolide therapy or in a test tube or whatever measure you, you wish to make. And exactly what organism were you looking at? Uh, we were looking at uh, streptococcus pneumoniae, which uh, you know, we all recognize as a very important cause of uh, lower and upper respiratory tract infections. Does this essentially mean then that you're trying to find the macrolide that is most difficult for that organism to get resistance over? Yeah, I mean, what we're trying to define is within a particular class, can you differentiate between one compound and another for their propensity to select resistance? And the clinical implications we think of this would be that by using a compound that's less likely to select for resistance would be just that. You're less likely to have resistance. And the flip side of that would be that if you use a compound that's more likely to select for resistance, does that in fact escalate the rate of resistance in the community or in the hospital? So what did you do in this study then? In this study we took 191 clinical isolates of strep pneumonia. So these were all patient-related specimens. And we subjected them to conventional susceptibility testing and by this new methodology that we've been developing called uh, the resistance prevention or mutant prevention concentration. And then we compared the data and what we showed was that within the macrolide class by this model the drug azithromycin was less likely to prevent resistance selection than was the drug clarithromycin. Indeed, and you mentioned what could be the implications. So you've got those data. What are the implications? Do we need more testing or should this be applied? Well, I mean, I think that at this stage here, it's good in vitro data and it's consistent with uh, data we've showed for other classes of antibiotics. But a lot of this in vitro modeling needs to be followed now by some type of in vivo study to see whether or not the in vitro observations would be paralleled by in vivo observations and then ultimately potentially the impact on clinical outcome. Although there is some data here at this meeting to suggest that macrolide resistance does lead to macrolide failure if in fact I've interpreted the data correctly. Finally, it does seem rather ironic that you could have a drug which essentially does work, but then eventually could lead to a much more severe bacterial infection. I mean, is this something that people originally expected? Well, it really depends on how you compare drugs. Uh, The traditional measure of comparing a drug is based on clinical outcome. You take two drugs for a a well-designed condition and a very well-defined patient population. You give half the patients one drug, half the patients the other, and you look at the end to see whether there's any difference in how the patients fared. And uh, we have to remember that in patients with mild to moderate disease, they're likely to get better regardless of which drug you give them. So clinical outcome, while it's an important measurement, may not necessarily tell you other subtle differences between the drugs that may occur over time. And by looking at both pharmacological and microbiological measurements, it may show us that there are other important differentiating characteristics of these drugs that clinical trials just don't recognize. Joseph Blondeau speaking at the 45th ICAC. Thank you very much indeed.